0: Consistently. Okay, that's enough, he thought and tugged on the ring. But it wouldn't come off. It had anchored itself to his finger. The gem was now swimming with a red light playing inside of the smoky green marble. A small storm cloud spurt of blood tumbled inside of its depths. The metal leaves started rustling, moving like organic leaves in the breeze. Uh Uh-oh. He had woken the stupid thing up. He yanked harder on it and felt it bite deeper in response. It sunk a thorny metal tooth right deep into his finger bone. He felt its hunger suddenly coursing through him. His heart pounded now, which of course was just sending more blood to it, feeding it, making it stronger. It had had a taste, just a little morsel, which had fanned its hunger into an inferno. The thorn wormed its way in deeper and tore the flesh of the finger on the other side. Silver leaves swirled around both his finger and the jewel, awakened and flexing after a long sleep. Then Ian jumped in surprise, as one of the leaves stood on end like an antenna or tentacle. It elongated, became a thin barbed wire. It appeared to be sniffing. What the bloody hell is it doing? Without warning, the sniffing wire struck like a python, burying its tip directly in Ian's wrist as he strove to muffle his howl. He watched in horror as the diameter of wire expanded and his own blood jumped up its length at an alarming speed and flowed back through a network of metallic capillaries into the very gem itself. The jewel was sucking his blood like a little vampire clamped onto his finger. What have I done? Ian thought. In a panic now, Ian tugged fiercely on the ring, but it would not come free. He hopped around the room, sweating and contorting. He bounded right into Dr. Gustav, who stood now in the doorway. His face was ashen gray, serious and sad at once. Why? Romani demanded with a growl. She stood there in her nightgown, her dark black hair a tangle, holding a candle. Ian looked at the ground in shame. He had no answer. Gustav examined Ian's hand, turning it one way and then the other. It has fused onto him, he said. I know of no way to remove one of these once that has happened. Answer me, Romani hissed dangerously to Ian. I, I-, I don't know, Ian replied lamely. I thought I-, I, th- I thought I could help. I thought I could figure out. There is a reason why that room is hidden. A reason why you were not invited up there. But it wasn't locked, so I didn't think. No, you did not think. And I did not think locks were needed in the inside of a house of those who are brethren and sisters. Trust should have been enough. Ian's face was a mask of misery. Well, you will suffer for it. That is for certain, Romani said with a hint of pity. Did you seriously think I was keeping all of this from you intentionally? To be cruel? Is that it? "'I am well aware of your skills with Naberian artifacts, Master Keating. "'If it had been in the least safe, "'you would have been up there examining these things "'the very first day you were here with us.' "'That stung Ian. "'Romani saw it in his eyes. "'We could sever his hand,' Gustav said matter-of-factly "'and looked up at Romani. "'Sever it below the wrist where that tentacle has planted itself.' horror flooded Ian in a gush. Remove his hand! The emerald ring seemed to jump as he thought about it. The thorn hooked a little deeper in him and he squirmed in pain. Romani looked at Ian. Oh yes, we would not shuck from such a measure if it were deemed best. But in this case it is not best. I do not believe such would work with one of these rings. Gustav, you know it would protect them. It would not allow us to remove his limb. Perhaps, Gustav sighed. (sighs) Ah, You are probably right. Ian's voice dredged in his throat. What is this thing? Do you know? Gustav nodded. Oh yes, it is blood metal. In ancient times, Nubarian centurions wore rings of blood metal instead of the golden armor. The ring itself is the armor. Ian looked down at his hand in confusion. No, it isn't protecting me like uh, such as I can see. It just it just jumped down like a bleeding rottweiler and won't let go. Yes, Gustav said thoughtfully, that is the way of it. It is a harsh master. It feeds on you, your blood, as you have probably guessed by now. But it will also surround you with an impenetrable dark metal frame in times of need. Armor will grow from it in case you. It is not pleasant. We are led to believe from what we have read. After a time, even Nuberian centurions refused to wear the rings because of this. They found the price of such protection too high. Ian gulped. Is there any way to remove it? Gustav shook his head with a pained expression. No. It is bonded to you, blood and bone, for life. For life? For bloody life? Ian's heart yammered like a caged beast. Only moments ago, this thing had not been on him. He could have walked away from it. It would have never troubled him. But all of that changed in an instant. No! Ian breathed, backing away. No, that, that can't be right. There's got to be a way. Anchor will know. Mr. E will know. Gustav shook his head. I told you there was no super-being here to save you this time. Did you think I did not mean it? Ian quaked. Oh, God, no! He fell to his knees and vomited in absolute fear. ''Yes,'' Romani said softly. ''Now, I think at last you do understand.'' Madame Romani awakened Ian early the next morning, sometime around 4 a.m. She instructed him to put his coat and boots on and come with her at once, and not to wake Max. He apparently had a busy day scheduled with Dr. Gustav. Groggily, Ian obeyed. Within minutes, Romani and Ian were walking briskly in the bone-cold dark of the pre-dawn. As usual, the smell of horse was everywhere. The macadam streets never quite masked the odor completely, but it was especially pungent in the mists of dawn for some reason. "'I suppose you wonder where we're off to,' Romani said to him curtly. "'Not that I owe you any explanation after what you did last night.' Ian looked down at his finger. The pale green jewel glared back at him. His own blood now swam in the gem. It had become part of his circulatory system, an emerald organ. "'No, you don't.' he replied quietly. "Just, We are going to Grand Central Station. A train is arriving. A man will come, an old friend. We have other business, but it is possible he may know of a way to remove that infernal ring from your hand. Although I doubt it. Ian looked up at her. Don't get your hopes up, Romani said. I truly believe we shall never rid you of it, only teach you how to live with it and you have not even begun to know truly the price it will exact from you. Ian looked down at his feet. He felt deeply ashamed, and Romani knew it. Her voice suddenly softened, and she said, "Ah, oh, come now. I know it all seems overwhelming right now, but the truth is, no one grows older without making bad mistakes, without having their share of things like this to live with. Ian looked at her with doubt on his face. What about you, madame? What do you've got to live with? Only I would do something stupid like this. I've always got to know, poking my head into things. Romani smiled a little. Well, you won't be so quick to poke your head in the next time, will you? What could you have possibly done like this? Ian asked. I can't imagine you doing anything so stupid. And I don't see any Duberian artifacts latched onto your finger. But Romani surprised him by bursting out with heartfelt laughter. I am several hundred years old, Ian. The things I have to live with. The things I've done that I would take back if I could. You couldn't even imagine. Why, if you only knew, you would think your little ring, milk, and honey in comparison. Ian looked in her eyes with clear doubt. I forget sometimes how very young you are. Now, both you and Max. People at your time seem to me to be at once old and young. Somehow wiser than we are and more foolish. She looked at him now with an expression he had not seen on her ashen and exotic face. And then, as the blocks of gnarled black gaslight ticked by, and the sound of phaetons and carriages growled by, Romani told Ian her story. I grew up in the country, in the rolling hills of Eastern Europe. I am Sinti, Estrajarja clan. People in those olden times thought we were Egyptian and called us gypsy. And I do not mind the phrase, but we are actually descended from travelers out of India. Did you know that? We are Indian, not Egyptian. But that is another long tale altogether. We were wanderers, that bit is correct anyway. We traveled in colorful caravans, from countryside to grasslands, mountain to stream, and we were hated everywhere we went. Unclean, thieves, tramps, they called us. But again, we did not mind. We were free, they were not. And they always hated us for that. My people were adept at the practices of what we now call the dream time The ability to read minds, to be unseen when we wished, to move faster than the eye could track, to shatter objects with our minds alone. These were arts known to us, they were common. But now I know this was partly because we had rich Nuberian blood in our veins as a people. But we were also closer to the earth, the true fabric of the world, than the people we met, who seemed to me to be clumsy and blind. But even amidst my own people, I was uniquely talented. My mother died soon after I was born, but I still had my father and seven brothers, a caravan of 150 or so. We were a close-knit tribe of Roma, of gypsies. But in 1693, in Moldavia, My twelfth year. Several things happened very quickly that were to change everything, much as your twelfth year did for you, Ian. One day, a man came. A man of the cloth. He told us we would have to change our ways, renounce our freedom, renounce the life of the Roma. Or if we did not, we would be burned alive. I did not understand, who was this man? Why did he care how we lived? What business of it was his? If he was unhappy with his life, that was no reason to take it out on us. But people are ever trying to make slaves of others. Humans seem to have learned that lesson from the Liberians well. Ah, I was young and stupid. I did not know what I was doing, but I wanted indeed it anyway. Romani stopped for a moment, overwhelmed with pain. And then she resumed her story. It angered me greatly, what he had said this man and so I stole out of our tent and took a horse and went to go see him, alone, without telling anyone. I arrived at his camp and demanded to speak with him at once. Little me, twelve years old, a small fury. It amused his guards to see the small girl so full of pluck. So they went and fetched him just to see what he would do. He came out of his tent, dressed in the robes of a cardinal. He had a harsh face, long and angular. He was a frown in a black robe, but he bid me to sit with him by the fire. And I railed at him for ten minutes, telling him that he had no right to threaten my people this way. We left him alone, why should he bother us? What was it to him what we believed, or how we lived? People were free to follow their hearts, to follow the wind if they so chose. When my small body had exhausted itself for chewing this fury, he waited for a moment, and stared at me with the coldest eyes I have ever seen. And then he rose and railed at me, telling me I was a dirty child, a child of the devil, that I had been bewitched by my worthless and evil people, and that I would burn in the great fire if I did not repent. Well, that undid me. He was the evil one, and I told him so. I told him that my people would never bow to him, that they would simply go where he would not find them. We were wanderers. It would be no problem for us to disappear again, leaving no trace, as if the very earth had swallowed us. And with that, I leapt upon my horse and departed his vile presence. Meanwhile, the men of the Roma met in the great tent. They were filled with worry. But in the end, they knew they could not become what they were not. This man meant to kill our souls, to tell us we were worthless, that our lives were wrong. To fill us with fear, this man who had come seemed to have no end of things for us to fear. one peddling fear is always a tyrant at heart. So the men, as I predicted, they decided we would quietly leave. We would go where he could not find us. But the Cardinal, he had in the meantime decided he would come to us that very night. You see, it did not occur to him that we would simply leave. But I enlightened him, because I had gone to him. He understood us better now, because of me. He arrived not long after this meeting, and with him were his guards and a crone, a hag wrapped in black swaddling. Vicious hatred welled out of all of them, causing the very air to burn as they approached. I felt ill immediately. I could not concentrate and my vision blurred and the headache more violent than anything in my experience suddenly beset me. They swept through the village without warning and without a word and set fire through the tents, the carts. They slew the horses. It happened very quickly and the natural abilities of my people were no match for it, although they resisted as best as they were able. They had surprised us and my people were full of great fear, and fear always mutes our abilities. They put the sword to my brothers. My father and my people. They burnt many of them alive as the cardinal watched with grim, pious satisfaction from his white horse. My headache would not let up, but as I sprinted towards the orchards in terror, I knew that they would kill me if I slowed down. It was the crone herself who ran me down, moving with blinding speed as though she were one of us. She displayed abilities such as many of my people did, and I knew then that I was lost. But in that moment I conceived the plan, a desperate measure that might work. It was my only hope. I had a bottle of poison on my garments. I had brought it with me, thinking to perhaps poison the Karin or myself if I had gotten a chance, which I did not. He was too wily about such things but now I drew this bottle from my pocket and dabbed a little on my lips and poured the rest into the grass with my feet. Then I caused myself to fall into a deep sleep, so deep that it mimicked death. My heart all but stopped, and my breathing became nothing. I had done such things before, but nothing quite so near to death itself. But I knew the crone had to be fooled, and it would not be done with a half-measure. Even so, She might still burn my body on the pyre, but it was a chance I had to take. I fell to the earth, and there I lay for the entire night. When I awoke the next morning, I found that everyone I knew was dead, and everything they owned had been burnt. Some of them were black ash, charred shapes of people, others lay where they fell, hacked apart. But my gambit had succeeded. The crone had believed that I had drunk the poison, rather than allow myself to be taken alive. Still, it was bittersweet. My whole tribe had been destroyed. Because of me. Because in my pride and arrogance, I had gone to see the man. My heart broke at once, and my uncontrollable sobs welled into the hills of the countryside, and the shadow and blackness covered the earth. I did not think I could go on living, on account of what I had done, and because there was no one or anything left for me to live for. I was tribeless, destitute. There was no dowry for me to be wed to a man. In an instant, everything had changed. So you see, Ian, you are certainly not alone in having made rash decisions, and at least your own mistake was at cost to only yourself and not those dearest to you. Ian looked at her now with amazement. He did not know what to say after such a tale. Romani had been right. His own troubles seemed tiny and insignificant next to such a towering and crushing burden as the one she had just relayed. They arrived at Grand Central Station not long afterwards. Romani's mood lifted almost immediately. Ian saw, to his surprise, that there was a great Zodiac-themed painting on the ceiling, nearing completion. A man hung from a scaffolding, finishing it, like Michelangelo working on the Sistine Chapel. Poor Cesare Helieu, Romani whispered to Ian, noticing his interest. "'The great painter of Europe. Magnificent, isn't it?' Ian nodded. He knew this wondrous ceiling painting was not present in his own time, and vaguely wondered what had happened to it but Romani was already tugging him down to the tracks. He followed down the wide stairs into the depths below. A great monstrous locomotive, gushing white gouts of steam, was just pulling in as they arrived. The brakes squealed and groaned as the black iron beast came to rest on the twin rails. Romani stood expectantly. Moments later, one of the largest men Ian had ever seen in his entire life emerged from the passenger car and approached Romani. He was a black man with a Creole look about him. He was perhaps seven feet tall, with no exaggeration. He had shoulders like boulders, and his slick, wide bald head was tucked beneath a bowler cap with a single red feather. Europa! The man said with a deep, basso voice with an African accent. How nice to see you after all this time, Marvin, Romani replied. Your journey was restful, I hope. Not as I would have liked. "'Marvin replied, irritated. "'My thoughts dwell on that Nuberian beast, "'the one in Germany that I nearly slew.' "'His eyes suddenly flicked at Ian. "'Romani caught this and quickly reassured him. "'He is with me, Marvin. "'He knows everything. "'Speak freely.' "'Marvin nodded. "'Marvin Sparkle,' the man said, "'holding out one massive hand that looked like a slab of beef. "'Ian took it and shook. "'Ian Keating.' It was like shaking hands with a giant. Then Marvin looked down and noticed the green ring on Ian's hand. He snapped his hand back as if Ian were holding a viper. It's all right, Marvin. Master, Ke- Master Keating acquired that ring quite by accident, I assure you. In fact, it is why I have brought him with me today. Sparkle stared at the ring and then at Ian. That is a terrible thing, Marvin grumbled. "'Ian nodded in annoyance. "'So everyone keeps telling me. "'Do you know of anything that might remove it?' Romani asked. "'Marvin shook his head. "'A ring such as that? No. There is nothing. "'Even the Nuberians themselves knew of no way to remove blood metal "'once it had fused to the flesh. "'Great,' Ian thought. "'Bloody blood metal great.' "'Romani nodded. "'I thought as much.' But if anyone had the knowledge, I thought that it might be you. Sparkle nodded. Yes, well, I am sorry that I cannot help. Romani tapped her teeth with her finger for a second and then said, Perhaps you will stay with us this time. Work with us. There is much we could share. The machine... Sparkle shook his head. No, Europa. You know that I work alone. I'm not good at groups. Romani smiled and nodded again. Yes, well, I thought as much. Which is why I rousted young Master Keating out of bed so early. I knew I would likely see you just this once. But I thank you for your offer, Sparkle said with a genuine look in his eyes. Perhaps in better times. I have work to do, and I could not rest until it is finished. What will you do? Romani asked. The one I have been chasing is here. I have tracked him. He is in New York. I will find him, and I will finish what I started. You mean the one you spoke of in your letter, Romani said with wide eyes. Yes, the very one. He who will complete the machine, Sparkle growled. You should know uh, they are very close, Romani said. Very close now to finishing it. I wish you luck. We are fighting the same battle, Marvin. Never hesitate to call upon us for help. We are allies, and you know where to find us. Marvin nodded. Yes, I know. Where, then? This is hello and goodbye, Romani said and held out her hand. Marvin took it in his massive palm and gave her a deep, pained look. A moment later, he turned and left, striking out amidst the 1912 denizens of Grand Central like a mountain wearing clothes. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two: The Two Travelers by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with PodioBooks.com. For more information on this Podio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both the pocket and the pendant Max Quick Book One and The Two Travelers Max Quick Book Two are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover.